0: We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this
1: world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man.
2: Did the CIA write Wind of Change by the Scorpions? (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: Dr. Loeb, what percentage chance Mm -hmm. do you give it that you have indeed uncovered extraterrestrial
2: or non-human technology mm-hmm. prior to your abduction did you believe mm-hmm. in ufos mm-hmm.
4: all things unexplained
2: so some of that i think sir will save for close session All right, this is Dr. Mouse. Welcome, everybody, to our live stream of the UFO hearing on July 26, 2023. We don't really know what to expect this morning, but it should be interesting. Before I bring that up, I want to say that we could be getting joined by some folks from Calling All Beings. We had the pleasure of going on their show recently, and we can't wait for some of those folks to jump in with us. They are also, I'm pretty sure, right now simultaneously streaming to their YouTube channel, The Calling All Beings Show. If you would like to check out my Audible book that I narrated, it was nominated for International Book Award. It was a finalist for that in fiction, horror. It's called killer kudzu well you can listen to it for free now on audible just visit audibletrial.com UFO if you don't like it when you first start don't worry it'll grow on you that's a little bit of a kudzu joke right there those who know know about the kudzu again if you'd like to check out killer kudzu on audible or now's your chance to listen to any book for free on audible give it a shot AudibleTrial.com/UFO, and by the way, I'll see if DJ. Hopefully, he can make it back on time. But um, if you see my promo pick for the UFO hearing, I decided to go with Perry Mason. I was a big Perry Mason fan, and I am hopeful for that Perry Mason moment. If you don't know what a Perry Mason moment is, hopefully, Timber Chat or somebody today. It's gonna give us that Perry Mason moment, and then you'll know what a Perry Mason moment is. DJ, I tell you something about kudzu. If you don't like it now, just wait a little while. It'll grow on you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, good morning. Tim. Good morning. So my,
5: my AirPods are not working, and you know what? My my wife was uh, took hers with her. How dare she? So I'm using the MacBook speakers and i'll make sure my mic is closed when you know so that it doesn't disturb the audio
2: and do you recognize the my picture dji quiz the audience of course yeah perry mason yeah yes yeah, so what i was saying uh, for those that don't know what a perry mason moment is hopefully we're gonna find out today hopefully this is it that's why i
5: wish that you were on the prosecution side uh you know instead we're relying on you know tim burchett you know
2: yeah hopefully tim burchett or somebody who by the way i don't know if you saw this but there was a lot of drama last night because out of out of left field tim burchett reveals he's not chairing this hearing anymore what's up with that yeah that's good that's a great question uh and, and i wish i knew
5: uh the answer to that i don't know i don't know why that would be uh, I imagine it will come out, and uh, we can have uh, Christopher Sharp, our friend from Liberation Times, to uh, chase after that. So uh, I'll make sure I, I'll actually text him that uh, because he's got, he's got you know for a British guy he's got better
2: contacts on the hill than we do. Yeah, you know it's so funny that you know sometimes people get a bad rap for being conspiratorial, but yet <laughs> conspiratorial things just freaking happen. Like how they it, do? Other else can you? frame this i mean you know it's not like i mean this happened out of left field i mean what can you say
5: well i i think you know there are things uh that are sort of uh part and parcel that we know where as the 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 um the the dod is going to put their thumb on this uh because information is going to come out that they don't want and that isn't with their blessing So whether or not that's a conspiracy, I mean, there there is no question. I mean, there's a conspiracy around this topic. I mean, there's no question about that. The question becomes is if everything is a conspiracy. For, For example, people were saying that Grush was part of a conspiracy. So then you have to point out how all the facts of how it unfolded actually run counter to that narrative. So that people don't ascribe that to Grush. He has, as we say, skin in the game you know as new
2: yorkers say have you put your money where your mouth is right right and of course there's still this rumor mill going around that there could be a surprise witness today Ooh! now part of that got started because some people believed that the scheduled one o'clock meeting had been postponed but i actually called the oversight committee yesterday because it's still on the calendar And I called them and said, you know, hey, is this meeting still on? And the one o'clock meeting is still on. It just got rescheduled from last week. So I think there was some confusion over that, that it had not been rescheduled today. It was put at one o'clock today because it was rescheduled from a different time last week. So, but I'm still hearing things that there could be a surprise witness today. So that should be interesting. And friend of the show, Simon Stifler what's good what's up simon and he's excited to listen yeah so are we simon do you know what a perry mason moment is he may be a generation too late for that
5: (laughs) (laughs) i remember it even though i mean it was before our time as well but it was in rerun you know oh exactly okay i just asked christopher sharp if he's looked into that i'll be right back i I gotta grab something real quick i'll be right back tim i'll be listening
2: oh no worry and it seemed to be some sort of political situation from what i saw that some technicalities had it to where timber just wasn't able to be a a chair of a committee but i don't know it's like some people were saying it sure was last minute and we've got davey johnson shifting gears joining us hey folks Hey Davy Johnston, shifting gears. We appreciate you. Why don't you let us know where Davy Johnston, shifting gears, is? Is that a business? I believe that's coming in from the Colin All Beings YouTube. So we are. This is groundbreaking today. We're streaming live to all on things unexplained YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook, and the Col All Beings YouTube. So yeah, last night out of nowhere late last night or at least that's when I saw it Timberchett, who was supposed to be chairing this committee revealed he was no longer the chair he had been informed he was no longer the chair now th- there may be some political you know technical reasons why that is the case and that was insinuated but man that sure was last minute is it and and but
5: again and who who stands to gain If the person who is in greatest greatest opposition to this information coming out, who stands to gain if he does not chair the committee?
2: Well, right, and he certainly has been Well, say say that who,
5: so the people know who we're talking about.
2: Oh, the, the folks trying to keep this under wraps. Which is? Which is... The ufo you, know, cabal. Potentially, you talking about that
5: <laughs> yeah potentially like potentially the dod potentially oh, yeah. these title 50 uh entities that arrow which is a title 10 organization hey how's it going davy johnson this is our newest addition to the cab network is uh, davy johnson and ash who is a counterterrorism police officer in the uk and their show is called he's retired now their show's called uh, The Mechanism. So, they've so hi, Davey. Say hello to Dr. Tim. Davey, this is uh, our new cab homie, uh, All Things Unexplained with uh, Dr. Tim Mount, CJ, and Smitty.
2: Davey, what's up? And by the way, I was telling Davey, DJ, that we've got something unprecedented going on here, some technical um, masterclass stuff going on. Davey's joining us, commenting from the Calling All Beings YouTube. So we're uh, streaming live on the All Things Unexplained YouTube right now and the Calling All Beings YouTube, Ryan Graves' opening statement.
6: Thank you. Chairman Grothman, Ranking Member Garcia, distinguished members of the House Oversight Subcommittee on National Security, representatives Burchett and Luna. My name is Ryan Fobbs Graves and I'm a former F-18 pilot with a decade of service in the U.S. Navy, including two deployments in Operation Enduring Freedom and Operation Inherent Resolve. I have experienced advanced UAP firsthand, and I'm here to voice the concerns of more than 30 commercial aircrew and military veterans who have confided their similar encounters with me. Today, I would like to highlight three critical issues that demand our action. As we convene here, UAP are in our airspace, but they are grossly underreported. These sightings are not rare or isolated, they are routine. Military aircrew and commercial pilots, trained observers whose lives depend on accurate identification, are frequently witnessing these phenomena. The stigma attached to UAP is real and powerful and challenges national security. It silences commercial pilots who fear professional repercussions, discourages witnesses. It is only compounded by recent government claims questioning the credibility of eyewitness testimony. Parts of our government are aware of more about UAP than they let on, but excessive classification practices keep crucial information hidden. Since 2021, all UAP videos are classified as secret or above. This level of secrecy not only impedes our understanding, but fuels speculation and mistrust. In 2014, I was an F-18 Foxtrot pilot in the Navy Fighter Attack Squadron 11, the Red Rippers. And I was stationed at NAS Oceana in Virginia Beach. After upgrades were made to our jet's radar systems, we began detecting unknown objects operating in our airspace. At first, we assumed they were radar errors. But soon, we began to correlate the radar tracks with multiple onboard sensors, including infrared systems, eventually through visual ID. During a training mission in warning area Whiskey 72, 10 miles off the coast of Virginia Beach, two F-18 Super Hornets were split by a UAP. The object, described as a dark gray or a black cube inside of a clear sphere, came within 50 feet of the lead aircraft and was estimated to be 5 to 15 feet in diameter. The mission commander terminated the flight immediately and returned base. Our squadron submitted a safety report, but there was no official acknowledgement of the incident and no further mechanism to report the sightings. Soon these encounters became so frequent that aircrew would discuss the risk of UAP as part of their regular pre-flight briefs. Recognizing the need for action and answers, I founded Americans for Safe Aerospace. The organization has since become a haven for UAP witnesses who were previously unspoken due to the absence of a safe intake process. More than 30 witnesses have come forward and almost 5,000 Americans have joined us in the fight for transparency at safeaerospace.org. The majority of witnesses are commercial pilots at majority major airlines. Often they are veterans with decades of flying experience. Pilots are reporting UAP at altitudes that appear above them at 40,000 feet, potentially in low earth orbit or in the gray zone below the Karman line, making inexplicable maneuvers like right hand turns and retrograde orbits or J hooks. Sometimes these reports are reoccurring, with numerous recent sightings north of Hawaii and in the North Atlantic. Other veterans are also coming forward to us regarding UAP encounters in our airspace and oceans. The most compelling involve observations of UAP by multiple witnesses and sensor systems. I believe these accounts are only scratching the surface and more will share their experiences once it is safe to do so. In closing, I recognize the skepticism surrounding this topic. If everyone could see the sensor and video data I witnessed, our national conversation would change. I urge us to put aside stigma and address the security and safety issue this topic represents. If UAP are foreign drones, it is an urgent national security problem. If it is something else, it is an issue for science. In either case, unidentified objects are concerned for flight safety. The American people deserve to know what is happening in our skies. It is long overdue. Thank you.
2: David Grosh, opening statement.
6: Mr. Chairman, uh,
7: ranking members and congressmen, uh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. This is an important issue, and I'm grateful for your time. My name is david charles grush i was an intelligence officer for 14 years in the both in the u.s air force uh, both active duty air national guard and reserve at the rank of major and most recently from 2021 to 2025 or excuse me, 2023 uh, at the national geospatial intelligence agency nga uh, at the gs15 civilian level which is uh, the military equivalent of a full bird colonel I was my agency's co-lead in unidentified anomalous phenomena and transmedium object analysis uh, as well as reporting to the UAP task force, UAPTF, uh, and eventually once it was established uh, the all domain anomaly resolution office, (ARO). I became a whistleblower through a PPD 19 urgent concern filing in uh, May 2022 uh, with the intelligence community inspector general. Uh, Following concerning reports from multiple esteemed and credentialed current and former military and intelligence community individuals that the U.S. government is operating with secrecy above Congressional oversight uh, with regards to UAPs. My testimony is based on information I've been given by individuals with a long-standing track record of legitimacy and service to this country. Many of whom also have shared compelling evidence in the form of photography, official documentation, and classified oral testimony to myself and many my various colleagues. I have taken every step I can to collaborate this evidence over a period of four years while I was with the UAP task force and do my due diligence on the individual sharing it. Uh, This is because of these steps, I believe strongly uh, in the importance of bringing this information before you. I am driven by a commitment of both uh, to truth and transparency, rooted in our inherent duty to uphold the United States Constitution and protect the American people. I'm asking Congress to hold our government to this standard and thoroughly investigate these claims. But as I stand here under oath now, I am speaking to the facts as I've been told them. In the US Air Force, in my National Reconnaissance Office, NRO, Reservist Capacity, I was a member of the UAP Task Force from 2019 to 2021. I served at the NRO Operations Center on the Director's Briefing Staff, which included the coordination of the Presidential Daily Brief and supporting variety of contingency operations, which I was the Reserve Intelligence Division Chief Backup. In 2019, the UAP Task Force Director asked me to identify all special access programs and controlled access programs, also known as SAPS and CAPS, uh, we needed to satisfy our congressionally mandated mission and we were direct report at the time to the DepSecDef. At the time, due to my extensive executive level intelligence support duties, I was cleared to literally all uh, relevant compartments and in a position of extreme trust, both in my military and civilian capacities. Uh, I was informed in the course of my official duties of a multi-decade uh, UAP crash retrieval and reverse engineering program, uh, to which I was denied access to those additional read-ons when I uh, requested it. I made the decision based on the data I collected to report this information to my superior, superiors and multiple inspectors general, and in effect becoming a whistleblower. As you know, I've suffered Retaliation for my decision, uh, but I am hopeful that my actions will ultimately lead uh, to a positive outcome of uh, increased transparency. Uh, Thank you, and I'm happy to answer your questions.
2: David Fravor, Opening Statement. Uh,
8: Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Congressman, Congresswoman. I want to first thank you for the invitation to speak to the committee on the UAP topic that has been in the news for the past six years and seems to be continuing to gain momentum. As you know, my name is David Fravor. I'm a retired commander in the United States Navy. In 2004, I was a commanding officer of Strike Fighter Squadron 41, the world-famous Black Aces. We were attached to carrier Air Wing 11, stationed on board the USS Nimitz, and had begun a two-month workup cycle off the coast of California. On this day, we were scheduled for a 2v2 air-to-air training with the USS Princeton as our control. When we launched off Nimitz, my wingman was joining up. We were told that the training was going to be suspended and we were going to proceed with real-world tasking. As we proceeded to the west, the air controller was counting down the range to an object that we were going to, and we were unaware of what we were going to see when we arrived. <coughs> there, uh, the controller told us that these objects uh, had been observed for over two weeks, coming down from over 80,000 feet, rapidly descending to 20,000 feet, hanging out for hours, and then going straight back up, for those who don't realize, above 80,000 feet is space. We arrived at the location at approximately 20,000 feet in a controller called Merge Plot, which means that our radar blip was now in the same resolution cell as the contact. As we looked around, we noticed that we saw some white water off our right side. It's important to note that the weather on this day was as close to perfect as you could ask for off the coast of San Diego. Clear skies, light winds, calm seas, no white caps from waves. So the white water stood out in a large blue ocean. All four of us, because we were an F 18F, so we had pilots and wizzo in the back seat looked down a small, saw a white tic-tac object with a longitudinal axis pointing north-south and moving very abruptly over the water like a ping-pong ball. There were no rotors, no rotor wash, or any sign of visible control surfaces like wings. As we started clockwise towards the object, my wizard and I decided to go down and take a closer look with the other aircraft staying in high cover to observe both us and the tic-tac. We proceeded around the circle about 90 degrees from the start of our descent, and the object object suddenly shifted its longitudinal axis, aligned it with my aircraft, and began to climb. We continued down another 270 degrees nose low where the Tic Tac, or we considered 270 degrees and we went nose low to where the Tic Tac would have been. Our altitude at this point was about 15,000 feet and the Tic Tac was about 12,000. As we pulled nose onto the object within about a half mile of it, it rapidly accelerated in front of us and disappeared. Our wingmen, roughly 8,000 feet above us, lost contact also. We immediately turned back to see where the white water was at, and it was gone also. So as you started to turn back towards the east, the controller came up and said, Sir, you're not going to believe this, but that thing is at your cat point, roughly 60 miles away in less than a minute. You can calculate the speed. We returned to Nimitz. We were taking off our gear. We were talking to one of my crews that was getting ready to launch. We mentioned it to them, and they went out and luckily got the video that you see, that 90-second video. What you don't see is the radar tape that was never released, and we don't know where it's at, of the act of jamming that the object put on an APG-73 radar, and I can get into modes later if you're interested. What is shocking to us is that the incident was never investigated, none of my crew were ever questioned, tapes were never taken, and after a couple days, it turned into a great story with friends. It wasn't until 2009 until Jay Stratton had contacted me to investigate. Unbeknownst to all, he was part of the A-Tip program in the Pentagon, led by Lou Elizondo. Uh, and there was an unofficial official report that came out that's now on the internet. Years later, I was contacted by the other pilot, Alex Dietrich, and asked if I'd been contacted and I said no, but I'm willing to talk. I was contacted by Mr. Elizondo and uh, we talked for a short period of time and he said we'd be uh, in contact. A few weeks after that, I was made aware that Lou had left the Pentagon in protest and joined forces with Tom DeLong, Chris Mellon, Steve Justice and others to form Two Stars Academy. An organization that pressed the issue with leading industry experts and U.S. government officials. They worked with Leslie Keane, who was present today, Ralph Blumenthal, and Helene Cooper to publish the articles in the New York Times 2017 uh, New York Times, and it removed the stigma on the topic of UFOs, which is why we're here today. Those articles open the door for the government and public that cannot be closed. It has led to an interest from our elected officials who are not focused on little green men, but figuring out where these craft are, Where are they from, the technology they possess, how do they operate? It also led to the Whistleblower Protection Act and the NDAA. There are multiple witnesses coming forward to say, uh, that have firsthand knowledge, and and Mr. Grush just covered that. What concerns me is that there's no oversight from our elected officials on anything associated with our government processing or working on craft, Uh, believe not from this world. This issue is not a full public disclosure that could undermine national security, but it is about ensuring that our system of checks and balances works across all work done in the government using taxpayer funds. Relative to government programs, even unacknowledged wage programs have some level of oversight by the appropriate committee members in the House and Senate, and this work that is said to be occurring from whistleblower testimonies should not be exempt. In closing, I would like to say that the Tac object we engaged in 2004 was far superior to anything that we had on time, have today, or are looking to develop in the next 10 years. If we, in fact, have programs that possess this technology and needs to have oversight from those people that the citizens of this great l- country elected in office to represent what is best for the United States and best for the citizens, I thank you for your time. Thank you very much.
2: Mr.
0: Crothman. Okay, Mr. Fravor, the Tac incident that you and that that you were engaged occurred in 2004. What kind of reporting took place after that incident?
8: None, we had a standard debrief where the backseaters went down to our uh, carrier intel center and briefed what had happened, and that was it. No one else talked to us, and I was in the top 20 in the battle group, no one came, the captain was aware, the admiral was aware, nothing was done.
0: Your commanding officers provide any sort of justification?
8: No, because I was the commanding officer of the squadron, so no.
0: Do you believe UAPs pose a potential threat to our national security?
8: Yes, and here's why. The, the technology that we faced was far superior than anything that we had, and you could put that anywhere. If you, if you had one, you captured one, you reverse engineered it, you got it to work, you're talking something that can go into space, go someplace, drop down in a matter of seconds, do whatever it wants, and leave, and there's nothing we can do about
6: it, nothing ok, either the other you two. Well I would also like to add from a commercial aviation and military aviation perspective, we deal with uncertainty in our operating space as a matter of uh, of our professional actions. Identifying friend from foe is is very important to us. Uh, and so when we have unidentified targets and we continue to ignore those due to a stigma or a fear of what it could be, that's an opening that our adversaries can take advantage of.
0: M- Mr. Grush, In your complaint to the intelligence community inspector, you, Inspector General, you claim that you believe information is being hidden. What kind of information do you think was hidden and do you think it should remain
7: hidden? Yes, I can speak to that very briefly in unclassified manner. As you know, the preponderance of my complaint was classified to the intelligence communities. Uh, Both uh, material acquisition and exploitation activity, um, also uh, baselining the UAPs but not sharing it with you know intelligence professionals that are actually doing step briefs to pilots uh that that kind of information yeah
2: mr garcia and
9: how and how about civilians that may not be pilots what kind of process could be in place for civilians who are not pilots who may have uap encounters do either of you have any suggestions that could facilitate that
2: or they get abducted by uaps
5: exactly that aren't chris bledsoe you know and famous with three letter agencies
6: my recommendations would make uh, would be to make that a sense a sensor centric operation in order to make it as objective as possible okay sir mr favor
8: no i agree with mr graves on that
6: okay um
9: just 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 briefly i also just want to um note for particularly for the two pilots another question for mr grush one of the things that i found fascinating in our discussion with mr graves last night as well is that you both described um UAPs and formations and the way they, they, they are uh, observed in space or, or in our air and the way that they move is essentially um, ways in which current technology or aircraft that we know of are unable to actually function or move. And so will you just for the public record again, once, once again, um, just uh, briefly, Uh, either describe or note that aircraft that are being witnessed, particularly by the 30 folks that you're working with, are essentially outside the scope of anything that we know of today and the technology we have today. Mr. Graves, Mr. Fravor?
6: Yes, uh, the objects that are being seen by commercial pilots are uh, performing maneuvers that are unexplainable due to our current understanding of our technology and our capabilities as a country, and that applies for the military as well. Mr., Mr., Mr. Fravor?
8: Yeah, I concur with that. We have nothing that can stop in midair and go the other direction, nor do we have anything that can like in our situation, come down from space, hang out for three hours and go back up.
9: Thank you. My last question. And so, and sometimes you, I know you, some, you have also said some of these answers in the past, but we're trying to get them on the public record as well, which is really important. Mr. Gresh, finally, do you believe that our government is in possession of UAPs?
7: Uh, absolutely based on interviewing uh, over 40 witnesses over four years.
9: And And, and where?
7: I know the exact locations and, and those locations were provided to the Inspector General and some of which to the Intelligence Committees. I actually had the people with the firsthand knowledge um, provide a protected disclosure to the Inspector General.
2: Tim Burchett.
1: Mr. Graves, again, I'd like to know, um, how do you know that these were not our aircraft?
6: Some of the behaviors that we saw in a working area, we would see these objects, uh, being at 0.0 Mach, that's zero airspeed, over certain pieces of the ground. So what that means, just like a river, if you throw a bobber in, it's gonna float downstream. These objects were staying completely stationary in category four hurricane winds. These same objects would then accelerate to supersonic speeds, 1.1, 1.2 Mach, uh, and they would do so in very erratic and, and quick behaviors that we don't. I don't have an explanation for.
1: Okay, have you spoken to um, commercial and military pilots um, they have seen these off of our East Coast? I uh-huh. have. Okay. Mr. Favor, I noticed that um, um, in the Tic Tac video, uh, it's Tic Tac like the candy, not TikTok like the uh, Chinese Communist uh, app. app. That's correct. Mr. Favor. What, what astonished you the most about the, the flight capabilities of these Tic Tac, very briefly?
8: Uh, the performance. Absolute performance. It was
1: And done. and you're you're not aware of any other objects that anybody in the world has in this world that has those capabilities?
8: No, I think it's far beyond actually our material science that we currently possess.
1: Are you aware of any other reconnaissance platforms that have tracked or recorded the tic-tac's maneuvers, maybe the NORAD system or any of the others? I am not. Okay. Mr. Grush, thank you for being here, brother. Thank you all very much. Um, have you faced any retaliation or reprisals for any of your testimony or anything on these lines?
7: Yeah, uh, I have to be careful what I say in detail because there is an open uh, whistleblower reprisal investigation on my behalf, and I don't want to compromise that investigation by providing anything that may uh, help provide somebody information. But it was very brutal and uh, very unfortunate, some of the tactics they used to— um, hurt me both professionally and and personally, to be quite frank. Yeah,
1: it's very unfortunate, as they say, when you're over the target, that's when they do the most firing at you. Do you have any personal knowledge of people who have been harmed or injured in efforts to cover up or conceal these extraterrestrial technology?
7: Yes, personally.
1: Have you heard? Have anyone been murdered that you would th- that you know of or have heard of? I guess
7: I have to be careful asking that question. I directed people with that knowledge to the appropriate authorities.
1: Maybe in a um, if we could get it, get in a um, confidential area skiff we could talk about that. But unfortunately, um, we were denied access to the skiff, and that's very unfortunate in this in this scenario. Um, Mr. Favor, do you believe that you witnessed an additional object under the water in relation to your encounter?
8: I will say we did not see an object, there was something there to cause the white water, and when we turned around it was gone, so there was something there that obviously moved.
1: Okay, it was it was not the same object, though, that you were you were looking at, correct?
8: No, we actually joked that the Tic Tac was communicating with something when we came back, and because the white water disappeared.
1: Uh, we were, in, in another instance, were told about the capabilities of, of a jamming during viewing of some when there were some people chasing some of these objects, did you experience any of that jamming or interrupting your radar or weapon system?
8: My crew that launched after we landed experienced significant jamming to the APG 73 radar, which was what we had on board, which is a mechanically scanned, very high end uh, system prior to the APG 79. And yes, it did pretty much everything you could do range, velocity, aspect, and then it <coughs> spit the lock, and the targeting pod is passive. That's what we were able to get the video on.
1: I'm about to run out of time, but um, are you aware of any of our enemies that have that capability? No. Okay, I would also like to note for the record that um, like George Knapp, breaking Area 51, he's the reason I knew about that. And the reason I know about the, the Tic Tacs is, uh, is Leslie Keen, um from New York Times article, and I would encourage everybody to read that.
2: Mr. Raskin.
10: My first question is, um, you've identified these as taking place on the East Coast. Is it just on the East Coast where these encounters uh, have been reported?
6: No. Since uh, the events initially occurred, I've learned that the objects have been detected essentially where uh, all operations, uh, Navy operations, are being conducted across the world. Uh, and that's from uh, the all Domain Anomaly Resolutions Office reporting.
10: Are there common characteristics to the UAPs that have been cited by different pilots, and can you describe what the convergence of descriptions is?
6: Certainly. Uh, We were primarily seeing dark gray or black cubes inside of a clear sphere. I'm sorry, dark gray or black cubes? Yes, inside of a clear sphere, where the apex or tips of the cube were touching the inside of that sphere. And that was primarily what was being reported when we were able to gain a visual tally of these objects. That occurred over almost eight years and as far as I know it's still occurring
10: um Mr. Grush what about you what was your experience after you came forward
7: well uh it's only been about two months or so so I guess my experience has been overwhelming support from uh former colleagues of mine that have you know privately messaged me and and I do appreciate that uh but I I do have knowledge of um active planned uh, reprisal activity against myself and other colleagues, and it's very, uh, very upsetting to me.
10: Coming from where?
7: Uh, certain senior leadership at previous agencies I was associated with. And that's all I'll say publicly, but I can provide more details in a closed environment. Okay. Yeah, there were certain colleagues of mine that were brutally administratively attacked, and it you know, actually makes me very upset uh, as a leader to see that happen to other coworkers and actually superiors of mine over well, the last three years.
10: How do you account for that response? That, that seems like a bizarre response.
7: Uh, I call it administrative terrorism. That's their, their quiver, their tool in the toolbox uh, to silence people, especially, you know, the uh, career government service cares about their career, cares about their clearance, uh, their reputation to climb the ladder. And when you threaten that uh, flow, career path, uh, uh, a lot of people back off. Um, but I'm here to represent those people. so
10: and and what is your general interpretation um, of these phenomena? or what is your current thinking of trying to make sense of them?
8: Well, I'll say, you know I'm not like a UFO fanatic. it's not it's not me, But I will tell you that what we saw with four sets of eyes over a five minute period still, there's nothing, we have nothing close to it. It was, it was amazing to see. I told my buddy I wanted to fly it, but yeah, it's just an an incredible technology.
0: Ms. Luna. Uh, Thanks, I'm Ms. Luna.
3: Mr. Grush, uh, in speaking to you yesterday, um, I just wanted to follow up on Representative Raskin's questions. In the last couple of years, have you had incidences that have caused you to be in fear for your life? for addressing these issues?
7: Yes, personally.
3: Okay, I just want everyone to note that he's coming forward in fear of his life to put in perspective if they were really not scared about this information coming out, why would someone be intimidated like that? Mm. Um, To your knowledge, are NHIs working with adversarial foreign governments in either technology exchange programs or back engineering programs?
7: I don't have data on that, I'm not sure.
3: Have you heard or you had people come forward to present that evidence?
7: not that particular evidence that you just espoused
3: okay on the 19th of april dr kirkpatrick head of arrow had said that he did not find any evidence of uaps you also stated that you had um, in your interview that you had briefed him on information that you were uncovering but that he did not follow up with you were the items that you divulged to him pertinent to national security
7: yes uh, him and i had a classified conversation in april 2022 before he took over arrow in the July 2022, and I provided him some concerns I had.
3: Do you know why he might not have fallen up with you?
7: Uh, I'm, I, unfortunately, I cannot read his mind. Um, I wish he did. Uh, I was I was happy to give sage counsel to him on uh, where to look when he took the, the helm of Arrow.
3: Um, can you please explain to me in detail the event that occurred at Vandenberg Air Force Base?
6: Certainly. Uh, In the 2003 timeframe, a large group of Boeing contractors were operating near one of the launch facilities at Vandenberg Air Force Base when they observed a very large 100-yard-sided red square uh, approach the base from the ocean and hover at low altitude over one of the launch facilities. Um, This object remained for about 45 seconds or so before darting off over the mountains. Um, There was a similar event within 24 hours later in the evening. Uh, This was a morning event, uh, I believe 8.45 in the morning. Later in the evening, post sunset, uh, there were uh, reports of other sightings on base, uh, including some aggressive behaviors. Uh, These objects were approaching some of the security guards at rapid speeds uh, before darting off. Uh, And this is information that was received through one of the uh, witnesses that have approached me at Americans for Safe Aerospace.
3: Was this documented in any official form, whether it was a police blotter?
6: Yes, they had uh, official documentation and records from the event that the witness uh, held over the years.
3: And I'm not gonna ask you to do it right now for time reasons, but you'd be able to sketch what was witnessed, correct? And have you seen that before on any other equipment and or during your flight time?
6: I have not seen what they've described. Um, This object was uh, estimated to be almost the size of a football field. um, And I have not seen anything personally that large.
3: Okay, and then um, another question on follow-up, referencing the Gimbal video go-fast incident. Um, can you just clarify, because to our understanding, the footage was actually cut off at a certain point, but what happens at the end of that video, just for those Americans specifically there that are wanting to know about the rest of that footage?
6: Certainly. Uh, there was some uncertainty or um, you know, instability with the object. It, it seemed to rock a bit, uh, and that's the last uh, last I had seen of the video. Much of the data that I would recommend be analyzed would consist of radar data uh, that would pre- provide precise kinematics on the object as well as the fleet of objects that were operating nearby.
0: Mr. Mouskowitz. Mr. Mouskowitz. Uh,
11: Gentlemen, let's talk about the laws of physics for a second. Uh, Mr. Graves and and Commander Faber, I heard you talk about speed. When uh, those objects broke uh, the sound barrier, did they make a sonic boom?
8: I was in a jet. You can't hear anything. It's kind of loud in there.
6: Yeah, you're not able to actually uh, personally tell within the vehicle. Uh, I will say the objects that we were seeing, they were spherical, uh, and they were observed up to Mach 2, uh, which is a very uh, non-aerodynamic shape. What about G-forces? Let's talk about G-forces of those vehicles. Could a human survive
11: those G-forces with known technology today? No.
8: No, not for the acceleration rates that we observed.
11: Okay. What about what they look like? How close did you get? Did you see a seam or a rivet? or a section? And what I mean is obviously the jets you're flying have all those things, that these objects have those.
6: Do you want to go Ryan? I, I didn't have the detail to be able to tell that.
11: So we got within a half mile at Tic Tac,
8: which people say that's pretty far, but it, in airplanes, that's actually relatively close. No, it was perfectly white, smooth, no windows. Although when we did take the original FLIR video that is out there, when you put it on a big screen, it actually had two little objects that came out of the bottom of it. Um, but other than that, no, no windows, no seams, no nothing.
11: Mr. Grush, as a result of your previous government work, have you met with people with direct knowledge or have direct knowledge yourself of non-human origin craft?
7: Yes, I personally
11: interviewed those individuals. <clears throat> Mr. Grush, as a result of your previous government work, have you met with people with direct knowledge or have direct knowledge yourself about ATs, advanced technologies that the U.S. government has?
7: Uh, based on uh, conventional uh, advanced tech, I was briefed to uh, the preponderance of the defense department's both space and aerospace of programs. Yeah.
11: Do you have knowledge, or do you have reason to believe that there are programs in the advanced tech space that are unsanctioned?
7: Uh,
11: yes, I do. Okay. Yeah. And, and when you say that they're above congressional oversight, what do you mean?
7: A complicated question. Uh, So there's, you know, some, I would call it abuse here. So congressional oversight of conventional special access programs, So I'll use Title 10, so DOD as an example, right? So 10 U.S. Code Section 119 Mm -hmm. discusses congressional oversight of SAPs, discusses uh, the the depth sec defs' ability to waive congressional reporting. However, the gang of eight is at least supposed to be notified if a waived or waived, bigoted, unacknowledged
11: SAP is uh, created, and that's public law. Well, so that how does, uh, I mean, I don't want to cut you off, but yeah. how does a program like that get funded?
7: I will give you generalities, I can get very specific in a closed session, uh, but a mis- misappropriation of funds and uh,
11: does that mean fund that, Does that mean that there is money in the budget that is said to go to a program, but it doesn't and it goes to something else? Yes, I have specific knowledge of that. Yep. Do you think U.S. corporations are over, overcharging for certain tech they're selling to the U.S. government and that additional money is going to programs? Correct through something called IRAD. Okay.
2: Um,
11: satellite imagery. Let's talk about satellite imagery. We have satellites all over the place. Some that we're aware of, and many that we're not aware of. Right. We're taking pictures of everything at every point in second. Uh, Mr. Grush, are you aware? Do you have direct knowledge? Have we talked to people with direct knowledge that there are satellite imagery of these events? Uh, That was one of my primary tasks at NGA,
7: since we uh, process, exploit, and disseminate that kind of information. I've seen multiple cases, some of which, to my understanding, and of course, I left NGA in April, so that's my information cutoff date, Uh, but I personally um, reviewed both uh, what we call overhead collection and from other strategic and tactical platforms that were, I could not even explain prosaically, and I have a degree in physics, by the way, as well, and I had... uh, I. I'm aware that you guys have not seen these um,
11: reports, unfortunately, and I it, don't know why. It is, do you have direct knowledge, We have spoken to people with direct knowledge that this imagery applies to crash sites, crash, crash imagery? I can't discuss that in an open session. Okay. Uh, do you have any information that the U.S. government is involved in a disinformation campaign to deny the existence of certain UAPs?
7: I can't go beyond what I've already stated publicly in my News Nation interview because uh, it touches other sensitivities. Okay.
0: Ms. Fox. Ms. Fox.
12: Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and I thank our witnesses for being here today. Um, M- Mr. Garouche, in your sworn testimony, you state that the United States government has retrieved supposedly extraterrestrial spacecraft, and other UAP-related artifacts. You go so far as to state that the U.S. is in possession of, quote, non-human spacecraft, end quote, and that some of these artifacts have circulated with defense contractors. Several other former military and intelligence officials have come forward with similar allegations, albeit in non-public settings. However, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, the director of AARO, previously testified before Congress that there has been, and I quote, no credible evidence thus far of extraterrestrial activity or of, quote, off-world technology brought to the attention of the office. To your knowledge, is that statement correct?
7: It's not accurate. I believe Dr. Kirkpatrick um, mentioned he had about 30 individuals that have come to Arrow thus far. A few of those individuals have also come to Arrow that I also interviewed. Okay. And I know what they provided Dr. Kirkpatrick and, and their team. Okay. I was able to evaluate
12: okay. That I, information. Okay. I
7: need to go on.
1: Sure.
2: Tim Burchett. Thank
1: you, Mr. Chairman. I'm going <clears> to <throat> direct this, I believe, to um, Mr. Grush, but if any of you all, feel like you need to jump in, just jump right in. We're good. Um, Has the U.S. government become aware of actual evidence of extraterrestrial, otherwise unexplained forms of intelligence? And if so, when do you think this first occurred?
7: Uh, I like to use the term non-human. I don't like to denote origin. Keeps the aperture open, both scientifically. uh, uh, Certainly, uh, like I've discussed publicly uh, previously, 1930s.
1: Okay. Can you give me the names and titles of the people with direct, firsthand knowledge uh, and access to some of this crash retrieval, some of these crash retrieval programs, and maybe which facilities, military bases that would the recovered material would be in? And I know a lot of Congress talked about we're going to go to Area Fifty-One, and you know, I and mean, there's nothing there anymore anyway. It's just you know, and, and we move like a glacier. And as soon as we announce it, I'm sure the moving vans would pull up. But please.
7: Uh, I can't discuss that publicly, but I did provide that information both to the Intel Committees and the Inspector General.
1: And we could get that in the SCIF if we were allowed to get in a SCIF with you, would that be probably what you would think? Sure, if you had the appropriate yeah.
7: accesses, yeah. Uh,
1: what special access programs cover this information, and how is it possible that they have evaded oversight for so long?
7: Uh, I do know the names. Once again, I can't discuss that publicly and, and how they've evaded oversight. I. In a closed setting, I can tell you the specific tradecraft use. All right.
1: When do, when do you think those programs began and who authorized them?
7: I do know a lot of that information, but that's something I can't discuss publicly because since
1: sensitivity. All right. If any of y'all want to jump in on any of this, you're more than welcome to. Um, what level of security clearance is required to fully access these programs?
7: Well, anybody who has... Uh, and, I, and I say
1: that oh. because myself... Um, Representative Gates and Representative Luna were mm. basically turned away at one point mm. at Eglin. So please go right ahead.
7: Uh, certainly difference between member access and say somebody like me, but anybody who has a you know TSSCI clearance and meets the eligibility criteria, the access adjudicative authority should be able to grant you access. So, yeah. uh,
13: Mr. Burchard, if you'll yield. So just to be put a fine point on that, there's nothing that you're aware of that's above special access program classification.
7: It's a misnomer that there's anything actually above top secret. Executive Order thirteen five twenty six delineates the classification levels. Right,
13: and but I, I draw a point on that because we can have access to mm-hmm. to those programs, and so the notion that we're not being given that access sort of defies our typical
1: muscle memory here in Congress. Thank you, Mr. Birchall. I'll yield back to you. Thank you, Mr. Gates. Um, along those lines, Title Ten, you may not know this or not, but uh, Title Ten and Title Fifty authorization as they they seem to say, they're inefficient. So who gets to decide this, in your opinion, in the past?
7: Uh, It's a group of career uh, senior executive officials.
1: Okay, are they government officials? Both in and out. Do what?
7: Both in and out of government, and that's about as far as I can go there. All right,
1: well, that leads to my next question. Which private corporations are directly involved in this program? How much taxpayer money has been invested in these programs, to your knowledge? I mean, we know, we, know we, we audit the Pentagon every year, and I've been here five years, and they failed the dadgum thing every year. They uh, lose over a billion dollars a year, we think, and I've told the Department of Defense maybe 60% of their assets are unaccounted for, whatever the heck that means. In the public sector, you go to jail for that kind of crap. So tell me
7: yeah i know when i um I'm, I'm a dollar off of my dts travel voucher i get hammered but uh it seems like it doesn't work the other if way if you right. sell over yeah. six
1: if you sell over six hundred dollars worth of stuff on ebay now you get a call from the irs so mm-hmm. please what corporations
7: yeah do i don't know these specific metrics towards the end of your question uh the specific corporations i did provide uh to the committees in specific divisions and uh, i spent 11 and a half hours with both intel committees so.
1: okay has there been any Has there been an active U.S. government disinformation campaign to deny the existence of unidentified aerial phenomena? And if so, why? I can't go beyond what
7: I've already exposed publicly about that.
1: Okay, I've been told to ask you what that that is and how to get it in the record what, which, which uh
3: what have you stated publicly in your interviews for the congressional record
1: uh yeah if you uh,
7: reference my news nation interview and i talk about a multi-decade you know campaign to um disenfranchise public interest Sorry, basically yeah
2: Ms. ocasio cortez
14: mr graves you mentioned specifically during the answers to one of your questions you named boeing contractors um, being engaged in an incident regarding this red cube about a football um, a football field wide. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about the interaction, or Mr. Gresh, either of you, the interactions between defense contractor companies and any UAP related programs or activities.
6: So I'll just say that the information about uh, the contractor himself were provided by a witness and I have no particular Understood. detail in that relationship.
14: Mr. Gresh.
7: Uh, the kind of general unclassed wave tops. Uh, certainly the contractors you know are the metal benders so to speak mm-hmm. the ones actually uh doing specific rep- uh, performance on government contracts
14: are they required um to issue any disclosure regarding uap sightings or do they engage in any uh, reporting around this uh,
7: in terms of the contractors yes. not that i'm aware of they do
14: not know. okay now when it comes to notification that you had mentioned about um IRAP programs, we have seen uh, defense contractors abuse uh, their contracts before through this committee. Um, I have seen it personally. um, And I have also seen the notification requirements to Congress abused. Um, I am wondering, one of the loopholes that we see in the law is that there is at least from my vantage point, is that depending on what we're seeing is that there are no actual definitions or requirements for notification, are there, what methods of notification did you observe? Like when they say they notified Congress, how did they do that? Do you have insight into that?
7: Uh, For certain IRAD activities, uh, I uh, I can only think of ones conventional in nature. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes they uh, flow through certain, I'll just say SAP programs that have cognizant authority over. The air force or something and those are congressionally reported compartments but I read is literally internal to the
14: contractor
7: mm-hmm. so as long as it's money either profits private investment etc they to, can do whatever they want to put yeah. a finer
14: point on yeah. it when there is a requirement for any agency or company to notify or any agency to notify congress do they contact the chairman of a committee do they get them on the phone specifically is this through an email to hypothetically a dead email box uh,
7: a lot of it comes through what they call the PPR, Periodic Program Review Process, mm-hmm. if it's a, you know, a SAP or Controlled Access Program Equity, and then those go to the specific committees, whether it be the SAS, okay. CASC, HSE.
14: Thank yeah. you. Um, I apologize, I, I just my time is limited. Um, for the record, if you were me, where would you look? Titles, programs, departments, regions, if you could just name anything? um and i put that as an open question to the three of you
7: i'd be happy to give you that in a closed environment i can tell you specifically
14: thank you um commander fravor
7: and i would say and i've told people that you, you have to know where to look they're
8: not going to divulge it to you because of the classification levels but if you know where to look and who to talk to which is exactly what mr
6: Gresh can point you then you then you have them
14: okay mr graves
6: i was an operator so i was defending on folks like mr Gresh to do that homework
14: okay Thank you very much. I yield back to the chair.
2: Mr. Biggs.
15: Last week, White House NSC spokesman John Kirby stated that UAPs are having an impact on our training ranges and need to be treated as a legitimate issue. Do you concur with the statements? That's for each of you. Yes. 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 Okay. In 97, we had the famous Phoenix Light case. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that. Uh, there were there were two things that went along with that, and the explanation was military training range off Luke and the Barry Goldwater range. Do you know anything different other than the official explanation of those lights?
7: Only what's in the public vernacular about it. That was outside the scope of my
15: duties. And if we wanted to, just my question along with my colleague from New York, Ms. Ocasio-Cortez, if we wanted to find out more about that, Where would we go to find the files and and who would we address? And are you gonna tell me we need to go to a SCIF so you can tell us in a SCIF?
7: (laughs) I could potentially give you a vector on that. That specific case, I'm not, I mean, I'm familiar with it in terms of public, but uh, I I give you a vector in a closed environment, yeah.
15: That would be good, thank you.
2: Mr. Langworthy.
7: Has any of the activity um, been aggressive, been um, hostile in your reports? uh i know of multiple colleagues of mine that got physically injured and uh the activity and i got by
16: big, by uaps or by by people within the the federal government both okay yeah. so yeah. there has been activity by by alien or non-human. non non-human technology and or beings that has caused harm to humans uh i can't
7: get into the specifics in an open environment but at least the activity that i personally witnessed and i have to be very careful here uh because you don't you know they tell you never to acknowledge tradecraft right so what i personally witnessed myself and my wife was very disturbing
16: okay um one of my constituents actually sent this next question and i figured i'd ask it since i had the same thought you've said that u.s and has Intact spacecraft. You said that the government has alien bodies or alien species. Have you seen? Have you have you seen the spacecraft?
7: I have to be careful to describe what I've seen uh, firsthand and not in this environment. But I, I could answer that question behind behind closed doors. Yeah. And have you seen any of the bodies? That's something I've I've not I witnessed myself.
16: Okay, and so with that being said, you know, the other statement that has been made that was intriguing to me because and it's intriguing because my my view has been that we are billions of light years away from any any other system and the concept that an alien species that's technologically advanced enough to travel billions of light years gets here and somehow is incompetent enough to not survive Earth or crashes. Is is something that I find a little bit far fetched, and with that being said, you have mentioned that there's interdimensional p- potential. Could you
7: expound on that? Oh uh, yeah, to answer your first question, and you know I'm here as a fact witness and expert, but I, I will give you a, a theoretical framework at least to work off to kind of expouse uh, crashes, uh, regardless of uh, you know your level of sentience, right? You know, planes crash, cars crash n number of sorties, however high, a small percentage are going to end in, you know, mission failure, if you will, as we say, in the, in the Air Force. Uh, and then in terms of uh, multidimensionality, that kind of thing, the, the framework uh, that I'm familiar with, for example, is something called the holographic principle, uh, both uh, it's it derives itself from general relativity and uh, quantum mechanics, and that is... If you want to imagine a uh, 3D objects, such as yourself, casting a shadow onto a 2D surface, uh, that's the holographic principle. So you can be projected, quasi-projected from higher dimensional space to lower dimensional. It's a scientific trope that you can actually cross, literally, as far as I understand, but there's probably guys of PhDs that we could probably but, argue about that. But you
16: have yeah. not seen any documentation that that's what's occurring. Uh, only a theoretical
7: framework discussion. Yes.
16: Okay. Um, okay. Occam's Razor my, is that this, these aircraft, um, have, have they been identified that they are being produced by by domestic, um, you know, military and um, contractors? Is there any evidence that that's what's being
7: recovered? Uh, n- not to my knowledge, plus the recoveries predate a lot of our advanced programs that I previously am witting of, so...
16: Um, would it be safe to say that there could be a scenario today where you have um, an aircraft that crashes and because it's been involved in one program from one federal agency, and the, but, the, but the agency that retrieves it does, is not aware of that program and to them it appears alien in
7: origin? I mean, that's a hypothetical situation. I'm not aware of any uh, historical situation that would match that you described so you're not aware it has not happened that you're aware of that i'm aware of
2: Um. mr gates
13: several months ago my office received a protected disclosure from eglin air force base indicating that there was a uap incident that required my attention i sought a briefing regarding that episode and brought with me congressman birchett and congresswoman luna we asked to see any of the evidence that had been taken by flight crew in this endeavor and to observe any radar signature uh, as, long as, to, as well as to meet with the flight crew. We were not afforded access to all of the flight crew. And initially, we were not afforded access to images and to radar. Thereafter, we had a bit of a discussion about how authorities flow in the United States of America and we did see the image and we did meet with one member of the flight crew who took the image. The image was of something that I am not able to attach to any human capability, either from the United States or from any of our adversaries. And I'm somewhat informed on the matter, having served on the Armed Services Committee for seven years, having served on the committee that oversees DARPA and advanced technologies for several years. Um, When we spoke with the flight crew, And when he showed us the photo that he'd taken, I asked why the video wasn't engaged, why we didn't have a FLIR system that worked. Here's what he said. They were out on a test mission that day over the Gulf of Mexico. And when you're on a test mission, you're supposed to have clear airspace, not supposed to be anything that shows up. And they saw a sequence of four craft in a clear diamond formation for which there is uh, a radar sequence that I and I alone have observed in the United States Congress. One of the pilots goes to check out that diamond formation and sees a large floating, what I can only describe as an orb, again, like I said, not of any human capability that I'm I'm aware of. And when he approached, he said that his radar went down, he said that his FLIR system malfunctioned, and that he had to manually take this image from one of the lenses and it was not automatic automated uh, in collection as you would typically see in a test mission. So uh, I guess I'll start with Commander Fravor. What, in, how should we think about the fact that this craft that was approached by our pilot uh, had the capability of disarming a number of the sensor and collection systems on that craft?
8: Well, I think this goes to that national security side and you can go back through history of things showing up at certain areas and disabling our capabilities which is disheartening and for us I mean like I said it it completely disabled the radar on the aircraft when it tried to do it and the only way we could see it is passively which is how he got that image so I think that's a that's a concern on what are these doing not only how do they operate but their capabilities inside to do things like this
13: and and how should we think about four craft moving in a very clear formation equidistant from one another um, in a diamond in all of the phenomenon perhaps mr grave that you've analyzed um, have we ever seen multiple craft in a, in a single formation
6: i have one particular case and that was uh during the gimbal incident um the recording on the at flare system shows a single object that rotates um you hear the pilots refer to a a fleet of objects that is not visible on the FLIR system. And and that was something that I witnessed during the debrief as part of the radar data on the situational awareness page. I would like to add, however, Congressman, uh, there's a small bit of uh, uh, anger, I would say, I would feel that those pilots are still uh, facing that difficulty in reporting this topic and they don't have the tools to be able to mitigate this issue. It just goes to show how serious this is and why this is such an important issue for our pilots and for our nation.
13: It was stated explicitly to me by these test pilots that if you have a U of AP experience, the best thing you can do for your career is forget it and not tell anyone because any type of reporting either above the surface or below the surface uh, does have a perceived consequence to these people and that is a culture we must change if we want to get to the truth. Uh, Ms. Chairman, I, I would observe that perhaps as we uh, as we move forward from this hearing, There are some obvious next steps. Every person watching this knows that we need to meet with Mr. Grush in a secure compartmentalized facility so that we can get fulsome answers that do not put him in jeopardy and that that give us the information we need. Second, I would suggest that the radar images um, that were collected of this formation of craft out of Eglin Air Force Base, and specifically the actual image taken by the actual flight crew that we can actually validate, um, be provided to the committee, subpoenaed if necessary, um, so that we're able to track how to get this type of reporting and analysis done in a more fulsome way. That would be my recommendation, humbly as a guest here of the Fine Oversight Committee. I yield back.
12: Ms. Mace.
17: Do you believe there's an active disinformation campaign within our government to deny existence of UAPs, yes or no?
7: I don't have an answer to that. As previously stated publicly, yes.
8: I think previously with like Project Blue Book, yes, but currently I don't speak for the United States government.
17: Okay. Thank you. Um, I have a few questions for Mr. Graves. Um, what percentage of UAP sightings, in your belief, go unreported by our pilots?
6: this is an approximation based off of my personal experience speaking with a number of pilots, but I would estimate we're somewhere near 5% reporting perhaps.
17: So like 95% basically don't
6: report seeing UAPs. That's just my personal estimate.
17: Favor as an expert naval aviator, have you ever seen an object that looked and moved like the Tic Tac UAP? No. Did the Tic Tac UAP move in such a way that defied the laws of physics?
8: The way we understand them? Yes.
17: Many dismiss UAP reports as classified weapons testing by our own government, but in your experience as a pilot, does our government typically test advanced weapons systems right next to multi-million dollar jets without informing our pilots?
8: No, we have test ranges for that.
17: It took over 15 years for your encounter with the Tic Tac to be declassified. Do you feel there was a good reason to prevent lawmakers from having access to this footage?
8: No, I just think it was ignored when it happened, and it just sat somewhere in a file, never got reported.
17: In a drawer, it happens a lot up here, (laughs) shocker. Um, Mr. Gresh, a couple of questions for you too, sir, this morning. Um, What percentage of UAPs do you feel are adequately investigated by the US government, of the 5% that are reported? (laughs) Um, I can only
7: speak for uh, my personal leadership over at NGA. I tried to look at every report that came through that mm -hmm. I could triage, so.
17: Do you believe that officials at the highest levels of our national security apparatus have unlawfully withheld information from Congress and subverted uh, our oversight authority?
7: There are certain elected leaders that had more information that I'm not sure what they've shared with certain gang of eight members or et cetera, but uh, certainly uh, I would not be surprised.
17: Okay. You've stated that the government is in possession of potentially non-human spacecraft. Based on your experience and extensive conversations with experts, do you believe our government has made contact with intelligent extraterrestrials?
7: Something I can't discuss in public setting
17: and was this documentary evidence, video, photos, eyewitness? Like, how would that be determined?
7: The specific documentation I would have to talk to you in a skiff about. Gotcha.
17: Yeah. Um, okay, so, and, and you may or may not be able to answer my last question, and maybe we get into a skiff at the next hearing that we have, but who in the government either, what agency, sub-agency, what contractors, Who should be called into the next hearing about UAPs, either in a public setting or even in a private setting? And you probably can't name names, but what agencies or organizations, contractors, et cetera, do we need to call in to get these questions answered, whether it's about funding, what programs are happening, and what's out there?
7: I can give you a specific cooperative and hostile witness list of specific individuals uh, that were in those.
17: And, And how soon can we get that list?
7: I'm happy to provide that to you after the hearing.
17: Super. Thank you. And I yield back mr langworthy
7: uh
18: commander fravor have uh, we've all seen the floating tic-tac video uh that you engage with on uh november 14th 2004 can you briefly talk about why you were off the coast of san diego that day
8: yeah we were at a workup with all the battle groups so we integrate the ships with the carrier the air wing with the carrier and we start working so we we're doing an air defense to hone not only our skills but those of the uss princeton when they had been tracking them for two weeks the problem was that there was never manned aircraft airborne when they were tracking them and this was the first day and unfortunately we were the ones airborne and went and saw it do you remember
18: the weather that day or was it cloudy or windy or anything out of the ordinary on the pacific coast
8: it was actually you if, already if said you the weather san diego it was <laughs> that a guy wasn't day. paying attention light winds no white caps clear sky not weather. a cloud it was Calm flying sense. it was the best now
18: is it true that you saw in your words a 40-foot flying tick-tock shaped tick-tock
8: that's correct. Or for some people that can't know what a tic tac is, it's a giant flying propane tank. Fair enough. Did this object come up on radar
18: or interfere with your radar or, or the USS Princeton?
8: The Princeton tracked it, the Nimitz tracked it, the E 2 tracked it. We never saw it on our radars. Our fire control radars never picked it up. The other airplane that took the video did get it on a radar. As soon as it tried to lock it, it jammed the radar, spit the lock, and he's he rapidly switched over to the targeting pod, which you can do in the F 18. The
18: from what you saw that day and what you've seen on video, did you see any source of propulsion from the flying object, including on any potential thermal scans from your aircraft?
8: No, there's none. There's no uh, IR plume coming out. Uh, and Chad, who took the video, went through all the EO, which is black and white TV and the IR modes, and there's no visible signs of propulsion. It's just sitting in space at 20,000 feet.
18: In, in your career, have you ever seen a propulsion system that creates no thermal exhaust?
8: No. Can you describe how the aircraft maneuvered? Uh, Abruptly, uh, very determinate. It knew exactly what it was doing. It was aware of our presence and it had acceleration rates. I mean, it went from zero to matching our speed in no time at all.
18: Now, if the fastest plane on earth was trying to do these maneuvers that you saw, would it be capable of doing that?
8: No, not even close.
2: Ask and answered.
18: And just to confirm, this object had no wings, correct? no wings
2: asked and answered
18: now was the aircraft that you were flying was it armed no it never felt threatened at all if if the aircraft was armed do you believe that your aircraft or any aircraft in possession of the United States could have shot the tic-tac down I'd
8: say no just on the performance it would have just left in a in a split second it looks like that we have a problem here that needs
18: further investigation.
8: <laughs>
18: yes. Uh, in your belief, is this this flying tic tac? I mean, is this is it capable of being the product of any other nation on the earth?
8: No. I actually, I said, like I said earlier, I think it defies current material science and the ability to develop that much propulsion. And I know there's been some physicists of done calculations, which is beyond anything that we have.
18: Well, either the United States has an adversary here in this world that we don't know, or we really have some serious investigations to do. I, I really appreciate you being here. Um, is there anything else about the November 14th, 2004 incident that you think is important for this committee to know that you haven't been asked here today?
8: No, I, I, you know it's, it's been said, it's probably the most credible UFO sighting in history based on all the sensors that we're tracking it. And then for us to get visual, and to go against the naysayers, it, it's something on the screen or whatever. I mean, there's four sets of human eyeballs. We're all very credible. Of the six of us that were involved in the thing, including the video, every one of us is going to do 20-plus years in the military in very responsible positions. So I'd say the world needs to know that. It's not a joke.
2: Mr. Ogless.
4: Based off of your own experience or the data that you've been privy to, is there any indication that these UAPs, could be uh, essentially uh, collecting reconnaissance information. Mr. Graves? Yes. Mr. Grush?
7: Fair assessment, yeah.
4: Mr. That's Fravor? Very possible. Again, in the national security vein, uh, is it possible that these UAPs would be probing our capabilities? Yes or no, Mr. Graves? Yes. Rush? Yes. Fravor? Definitely. Is it possible that these UAPs are testing for vulnerabilities in our c- current systems? Yes. Yes, possible. Do you feel, based off of your experience and the information that you've been privy to, that these uh, UAPs uh, provide uh, an existential threat to the national security of the United States? Mr. Graves? Potentially. Yes, sir, potentially.
7: Uh, Same answer, potentially. I would say definitely, potentially.
4: Mr. Graves and Fravor, in the event that your encounters had become hostile would you have would have, would you have had the capability to defend yourself, your crew, your aircraft? Absolutely not, sir. No. Is based off of the information that you've been privy to. Is there any indication that these UAPs are interested in our nuclear technology and capabilities? Yes. Uh, By external
7: observation, sure. That could be a fair assessment. Yeah. Yes.
4: Is there any indication that the Department of Energy is involved in UAP data collection and housing? I don't have an answer.
7: I can't confirm or deny that in a public setting. And no, could maybe.
4: you do it in a, in a secure setting? Yes. Mr. your favorite? No, I don't know. Mr. Chairman, um, you know, I think I'm the last member to go, but there clearly is a threat to the national security of the United States of America. As members of Congress, we have a responsibility to maintain oversight and be aware of these activities so that, if appropriate, we take action. I would encourage the chairman to demand that we have any and all, but in particular Mr. Grush, uh, talk to us in a SCIF, and if that access is denied, I will personally volunteer to uh, initiate the Holman Rule against any personnel or any uh, program or any agency that denies access to Congress. Mr. Chairman, with that, I will yield the remainder of my time to my fellow colleague from Tennessee, Mr. Burchett.
2: Mr. Burchett.
1: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Mr. Ogles, for the great questions, brother. Um, Mr. Grush, I might have asked this before, but I wanna make sure. Do you have any personal knowledge of someone who's possibly been injured working on legacy UAP reverse engineering?
2: Asked and answered. Yes.
1: Okay. Um, and that's someone who was there the whole time. How were they injured? Was it, is it something like a radioactive type situation or something we didn't understand? I've heard people talk about Havana syndrome type incidences. What, what was your recollection of that?
7: I can't get into specifics, but you can imagine assessing an, an unknown unknown. Uh, there's a lot of uh, potentialities you can't fully prepare for.
1: Are you aware of any individuals that are participating in reverse engineering programs for non-terrestrial craft
7: personally yes Mm -hmm. uh
1: you know any that would be willing to testify if there were protections for them
7: certainly closed door and assurances uh that breaking their nda they're not going to get um, administratively punished for so
1: awesome i yield awesome sure
2: ms luna
3: why is it that you per, uh, refer to the phenomenon as non-human intelligence? Why deviate from the basis of extraterrestrial life? Uh,
7: I think the phenomenon uh, is uh, uh, very complex, and I like to leave an open mind analytically to specific origin.
3: When you say specific origin, are you referring, can you elaborate on that for those that might not If
7: it's me? a traditional extraterrestrial origin or something else that we don't quite understand, Uh, from either a biological or astrophysics perspective. I just like to keep an open mind on what it could be. yeah.
3: Okay, and uh, referring to your News Nation interview, you had referenced uh, specific treaties between governments. Um, Article 3 of the Nuclear Arms Treaty with Russia identifies UAPs. It specifically mentions them. To your knowledge, are there safety measures in place with foreign governments or other superpowers to avoid an escalation? Escalatory situation in the event that a UAP um, malevolent, malevolent event occurs.
7: Uh, yeah, you're referring to actual a uh, public treaty in the UN register. Um, it's funny you mentioned that. Yeah, the Agreement on Measures to Reduce the Risk of Outbreak of Nuclear War signed in 1971, uh, unclassified treaty publicly available. And if you cite the George Washington uh, University National Security Archives, you will find uh, the declassified in 2013 specific provisions in the specific uh, red line flash message traffic with the specific codes pursuant to article three and, and article uh, also situation two, which is in the the previously classified NSA archive. What I would recommend, and I, I tried to get access, but uh, uh, I got a wall of silence at the White House, uh, was those specific incidents when those um, message traffic was used. I think uh, some scholarship on that would open the door to a further investigation uh, using those publicly available information.
3: Thank you. And then my last question with 51 seconds remaining. You mentioned white-collar crimes potentially being um, taking place in regards to a cover-up. Can you please elaborate?
7: I have concerns, based on the interviews I conducted under my official duties, of uh, potential violations of the Federal Acquisition Regulations, the FAR.
2: Mr. Raskin.
7: Um, Mr. Fravor, you've
10: described your episode in detail now, and you call it uh, the most credible UFO, sighted, UFO sighting in history. Um, I wonder, was this the first time that you encountered a, a UFO or a UAP in 2004? Y- yes and what was your general attitude or perspective on the ufo discussion before that happened
8: i n- i never felt that we were alone with all the planets out there but God, i wasn't a ufo person i wasn't i wasn't watching history channel and mufon and all that
10: and um have you had ex- experiences or encounters since that happened no um and So have you formed any general conclusions about what you think you experienced then?
8: Yes, I think what we experienced was, like I said, well beyond the material science and the capabilities that we had at the time that we have currently, or that we're gonna have in the next 10 to 20 years.
10: Very good. Mr. Gresh, um, you've been able to answer in great detail on certain questions and then other things you say you're not able uh, to respond to. Can you just explain where you're drawing the line uh what's the basis uh, for that yeah
7: based on my Dopser security review uh and what they've determined that is unclassified
10: I see so you're answering any questions that just call upon your knowledge of unclassified questions but anything that relates to classified matters you're not commenting on in this context
7: in an open session but happy to participate in a closed session at the right level yeah
10: okay um, and Mr. Graves, you said that there, there are dozens of fellow pilots, military pilots, are there also commercial pilots who've uh, encountered the same the same kind of sightings that you described before?
6: They are similar. Pilots commercial pilots have uh, less range and less sensors to be able to reach out and look for objects over wide swaths of airspace. Uh, And so, pilots are seeing them, commercial pilots are seeing them, and they're typically closer, and the range of what they're seeing is is pretty large.
10: What is the most vivid, concrete sighting with the naked eye um, of the objects that you described before, the cube-like objects?
6: Certainly. I think the most uh, vivid sighting of that would have been near, uh, uh, near midair that we had at the entrance to our working area. One of these objects was uh, completely stationary at the exact entrance uh, to our working areas, uh, not only geographically, but also at altitude. So it was right where all the jets are going, essentially, on the eastern seaboard. Uh, the two aircraft flew within about 50 feet of the object, and that was a, a very close visual sighting.
10: And you were in one of the aircraft?
6: I was not, I was there when the pilot landed. Uh, he canceled the mission after, I was there. Uh, he was in the ready room with all his gear on, with his uh, mouth open, uh, and I asked him what the problem was, and he said he almost hit one of those darn things.
10: He said he was 50 feet away from it? Yes, sir. And his description of the object was consistent with the description you gave us before?
6: A dark gray or a black cube inside of a clear sphere.
10: Inside of a clear sphere? Yes. Sir. Um, and with no self-evident propulsion system?
6: No wings, uh, no IR energy coming off of the vehicle, uh, nothing tethering it to the ground. And that was that was primarily what we were experiencing out there.
1: Mr. Burchett. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. This is for all three of y'all. Starting with Mr. Graves, why did you come forward on this issue?
6: I came forward because I felt that my colleagues did not have a way to mitigate the safety threat, and I wanted to help them. I was trained as an aviation safety officer by the Navy, and this seemed, it just it just felt right. I felt like I had to help the folks that were still flying and dealing with this. Mr. Grash,
7: uh, Purely a sense of duty. Uh, I first sworn oath when I was a cadet 18 years ago, and I, I still uphold that even out of the uniform.
1: Commander.
8: I was pestered uh, by a friend, <laughs> and I asked why, and he said, you're the one person that they can't discredit, and you'll add credibility to the New York Times article, and so after about six times, I said, okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, this town isn't um, made, unfortunately, by people like y'all. We thank y'all. And I do want to also thank the people in the audience and the people that are watching this that can't be people all over the world that have kept this issue alive. You've endured criticism and derogatory remarks, and we're trying to get to the bottom of it. And so God bless y'all. Thank y'all so much. We really appreciate you guys and gals. Um, that's why we need term limits. Y'all keep clapping those politicians just keep talking. So, um, let me ask y'all, how can we the public contribute to UAP reporting and what avenues you think are available to the public to report these sightings? Well, but right now,
6: I don't think there is a, a lot of uh, public options for the, every man to be able to report on this. Uh, I think even for professionals that have sensor data that are seeing these on a regular basis, they're still hesitant to come forward. Uh, and so for the general public, I think uh, encouraging the conversations that we're having today, looking for technology solutions that can be distributed uh, so that objective data can be gathered is the first place to go. Mr. grash
7: uh, I'll just touch on the whistleblower side of it. I do encourage you know current former military, intelligence community, and industry contractors to come forward in a legal way either through the IC or DOD or whatever the cognizant IGs are, um, to, to lead you know, lead, you know, join me in this discussion.
1: Commander, and I, I guess I should say this for the record, my daddy was United States Marine Corps, First Marine Division. So Hooverh. Yes, sir. He was old school him and Chesty puller on Peleliu. So thank oh, you,
8: wow. brother. <laughs> wow. Yes sir. Um,
1: I'm not I'm not anything like my daddy. He was incredible. I'm very mediocre to say the least. But go ahead. You
8: seem to be doing fine.
1: Yeah.
8: Uh, for me, uh, I, you know, I was an accident investigator, so the biggest thing you learn, and I think that witnesses need to, to do is, one, don't try and make the fish bigger than it was. Stick to the facts. Write it down, and don't speculate what you think it is because it will spoil your decision. Just write the facts down. We can get all the facts together, and we can start to investigate and get a real honest story instead of it was this big.
1: Thank you all, and I want to thank everybody. We made history today.
0: If there's no further business without objection, the subcommittee stands adjourned.
3: Listen to Somewhere in the Skies by Ryan Sprague for
14: free. Visit audibletrial.com backslash UFO.
2: Analysis by DJ and Dr. Mounts.
5: Go. wow
2: yes sir so hit me with it doctor wow well I'll just say this it was a long hearing mm-hmm. um, we definitely should uh, reconvene mm-hmm. at some point for a more in-depth uh, sure. review of this but man I did take a lot of notes but uh, I wanted your help with something DJ real quick sir uh a few things here that i don't think is public knowledge gang of eight Skiff. let's start with those
5: okay gang of eight is like uh the the senate has an intel committee the house intel committee so there's these committees and subcommittees that have to do with intel that have people who have tssci clearances um The SCIF is a facility that looks like a a bank vault. I'd have to Google it to remember it. I've worked in two SCIFs, and I still don't remember what the acronym means. But essentially, you have to have, um, I believe, at least a TS clearance to get get into one. Um, It looks like a bank vault. It has, like, one of those combination things on it, and... Um, it can be sanitized, I think, down to the secret level if everything's closed. Uh, but, but, but yes, basically that's what it is. And that's where uh, people will have computers where that computer can be go above SIPR up to like the JWICS, TSSCI level, uh, and those networks that have that information. SIPR is secret internet protocol uh, uh, network. And then um, in, inside a skiff, you could have higher level than that to top secret.
2: Gotcha. And I tell you one thing that I, I noted here. several times it came up about how their systems were shut down. And it reminded me of, quite a little while back, we had a, an insider with the Navy mm-hmm. that revealed a couple of things to us completely off the record. Mm-hmm. And they were quite nervous to do so. But they were an engineer on the ship Mm -hmm. and they said that number one, they encountered UAP UFOs frequently. Mm -hmm. Their systems would go down and that it, it, it was his job to get the systems back up and that they were terrified that they were being hacked in some sort of way or being probed in some sort of way that they could not stop. And number two, he, also revealed that there have been fatalities with ufo encounters and that they were just easily dismissed you know as training exercises man overboard that sort of thing we see it on the news actually too much you know black hawks go down out of nowhere uh, everybody on board killed uh, that sort of thing you know so that that caught my attention and about the systems going down
5: um so a couple things i could speak to to that one thing bob lazar talked about his predecessor at the area 51 facility tried to cut into you know they had that uh that reactor basically and it had some sort of a sphere yes thank you i saw that shack valet thank you very much for reminding me of that like i said it was something yes. simple, and i've worked in there and i still didn't remember it Uh, But in any case, um, so Bob Lazar talked about he tried to cut into a plasma torch. That caused his death, and Bob was actually hired to replace that guy uh, that that, uh, got hurt. Secondly, talking about EMI, um, what shuts things down and interferes with aircraft systems. Um, I was a flight engineer on MC-130s, Combat Talons, uh, C-130s, you know, the... generic one then mc-130s and then ac-130 gunships and from the very early days uh when i started this which was the year i went through school in 99 2000 they had an emi mitigation procedure and i didn't know what that was for but basically hi uh that's okay julie uh this was something that was done by our new friends at all things unexplained and i was an invitee but but thank you julie um i appreciate your love um, in any case, so the EMI procedure was meant to, if we experienced EMI and the aircraft started to lose power and we lost control of engine propulsion, it would be to shut off certain, a sequence of events to shut off certain electronic things inside the aircraft that controlled the engines. And that would put you in the most mechanical um configuration to keep the aircraft flying even if you lost navigation you lost um all the avionics at least okay i'm still flying maybe i have an, a whiskey compass and an adi and i can see that i'm straight and level and, and 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 i have a compass so yes uh emi well like what they described that happened over eglin um a real thing and could have like you said taken down uh, aircraft that that, that uh just, It was never reported, like you said, it was reported as a training accident, but it may have been the result of uh, EMI.
2: Right, and I'm joined here by DJ from Calling All Beans. Thank you so much for joining me for this historic event today, the UFO hearing in front of the House Oversight Committee. Listener, Shaq Vallee clarified that SCIF is sensitive compartmentalized information facility. And that's actually one thing I want to do after this uh, online is is post some definitions of some of these things that came up. Like skiff continued to come up, right? But there was no, no clarification What's of what that meant. And uh, man, I t- I've got so many notes here, DJ. Don't let me keep you past what you need to go. But the one specific thing they asked Rush one time: what was the earliest UFOs or non-human entities? that we came in possession of or that he knows of Mm -hmm. and he mentioned 1930s yep this is a reference although it wasn't said for whatever reason this is a reference to the 1933 magenta italy ufo situation that apparently mussolini was involved in Mm -hmm. and that we for whatever reason took possession of that craft and i guess you know you can't separate the vatican from this too and we p- took possession of this in the 40s mm-hmm. for whatever reason. But I thought that was really interesting that um, this came up, 1930s, because at first I wasn't quite sure what they were talking about there.
5: Yeah, it was housed. Uh, they had it in some sort of a warehouse. And obviously until after the war was over, it wasn't given to us by Mussolini. It was um, captured uh, and, 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 by, by, and rec- I should say recovered by the Mussolini regime. And it was housed somewhere, and then, um, as you said, in 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 some negotiation uh, after the war was over, during Reconstruction, etc., um, it was agreed upon that would go to the United States. You know, we had liberated Europe to a degree, along with the Brits. So, yeah, I don't I don't know how that happened, but yeah, it's very interesting.
2: I tell you something else that really set my radar off: this talking about the nuclear treaties that I believe first came up in the 70s and that apparently were highly classified but yet brought up some sort of examples of UFO, hostile UFO encounters. Mm-hmm. Part of this was declassified. I had never heard of, of any mentioning of such nuclear treaties and UFO incidents and a big theme that we've run into is you know mutually assured destruction simultaneous atomic destruction we know about this this affinity between nuclear and uaps i mean what did what did you make of that have you got any insight into these nuclear treaties
5: so yeah if i understand it correctly and i just want to put that out there um It's basically as a result of what happened with your friend uh, uh, and my fellow Air Force uh, brother, Robert Salas, and then an incident that reportedly happened in Russia. And I believe what David is talking about that uh, he said is in the open source, in the archives, I think he said it was George Washington University archives, is that um, there was a a mode of communication to communicate with the Russians and for them to communicate with us if there was a false launch, it was because they had a false launch that, thank God, uh, the Russians during the Cold War there uh, interrupted mechanically, so that launch sequence could not come to fruition and launch on us. And then obviously Robert's battery of six missiles were shut down. So once they figured out that hey something could happen that they had no agency over, they developed a framework to say, hey, don't don't launch this is not this is not us. We're working on solving this problem because there are certain sensors that we have that will tell us uh, if they've initiated or they're launching and, and vice versa. So yes. And I thank God that that exists and we're all still here to talk about it.
2: You don't know what the Holman rule is, do you? That that came up.
5: I, I looked that up, um, and it, it it's not what... The way that he characterized it was like that they could compel somebody with this one specific rule that was beyond what it is. The The Holman rule, one, what I looked up, appears to be financial in, in nature. You guys heard rumors about that. I, re, I yes. believe Representative Gallagher raised that a few weeks ago. That's what it looks like to me. So Pulling the funding.
2: Yeah, and you know, one interesting thing about the funding that came up was this notion of private corporations and such getting funding uh, through different means. And I couldn't help but think about how we, you know, Robert Bigelow, Skinwalker Ranch, got funding for whatever was going on out there. And you know what? Even to this day, we're still not 100% sure what was going on, but yet they did get funding. Well, first of all, thank
5: you, Simon, for saying that in the chat. I appreciate that i'm sure you're a fan of all things unexplained uh and and on their stream and thank you uh, for joining us um yeah um so i'm sorry tim your your question once again i'm sorry i got lost in that
2: well it was just more Here. of a of a uh inc- of a i noticed they brought up this notion between private yes. funding and, and okay. where it's coming from i couldn't help but think of it, it made so, me think of robert bigelow and skim ranch right
5: yeah but before we go there let's intercede into the conversation we had yesterday because it's germane to this so when they talk about interrupting funding and something that uh you had brought up that was a concern of people in the community that private entities had these craft and were funding these and the government would go and take well obviously we can't do that so when you talk about interrupting funding is what we talked about there's a contractual obligation between whomever is housing this in this case a private entity that's back engineering but it is under a government contract that's how you can affect change on that is because we're under if if the private entity was funding it wholly funded in and of itself then we have no interest in that it's theirs right that's why I told you if the chances are I don't think that those relationships exist in that way because then the government could not get information off of what is yielded from that technology, has no interest in it and and uh, you can't cut off funding to something that you're not funding. But once it goes under contract, now now that becomes something that they can leverage because Congress does hold those strings and therein the illegalities lie. And now right. relative to Robert Bigelow, um, it's interesting. But until it's it's a very interesting thought, and and it may be something there, uh, there, there. But in and he's been quiet, which makes you suspicious, right? He's been very quiet. But until we see something of an in you know an evidentiary basis, uh, there's not much we can say. But what what David tells them in closed session in the skiff, that could that could change things because maybe he knows something that that uh robert is involved in but until then it i can't attribute anything to him at this point
2: right and shout out to Listener simon stifler thanks he said love you guys thanks for streaming. we appreciate you simon simon himself also has military service and we appreciate you for that uh dj another thing that came up a lot is this notion of tssci clearance can you clarify that any for
5: so top secret you know uh The the, the classifications, like he said, are there's confidential, there's secret, it can cause grave, the release of information can cause grave damage uh, to the United States of America and then top secret can cause exceptionally grave damage so they make these distinctions. So sensitive compartmental, compartmented information or compartmentalized information means that you have a top secret clearance and with SCI you have been read into a program Let's just say for just the sake of argument, you're there in North Carolina and it's Bragg and you're read into an SCI program that has to do with new army technologies, exosoldiers and, and things like that, that, uh, that we wouldn't want uh, the rest of the world to know that we're working on this top secret uh, army technology that will be used for ground troops i let's say i'm going to represent the air force and i'm ready into um special operations stuff that has to do with afsoc or jsoc so you have it you have a tssci i have a tssci but and we're having dinner so to the audience out there does tim have the ability to tell me about his army program that he's working on this top secret program um and, and do I have a right to know that because we both have TSSCI? The answer is no, because after you've gone through a background investigation, you filled out an SF-86, you've gotten cleared, they've gone and talked to everybody from your elementary school teacher up to now to find out what kind of a risk or what ty- kind of a person, how can, can we trust him, can we con- trust DJ? Yes, but I don't have a need to know about his program and he does not have a need to know about mine. So therefore, we can have dinner, but I can't discuss the nature of what I've been read into. There's an NDA that you sign that talks about fines and prison sentences when you're read in and when you're read out when you leave. Same thing for Tim. He's read in when he gets into the program. He's read out when he leaves and goes to another program because even if he left that program a week ago and he signs out, his buddies in that program can no longer discuss with him what they're doing. He doesn't have the need to know, so that's how it works. And it can get to the granular level if you if you if you listen to what Bob Lazar said. He said that uh, even when he was working on craft, uh, individual Tim and I spoke about this yesterday, so it's a regurgitation. That if someone were working on com nav and someone were working on propulsion, you could be in the lunch room, but you you couldn't you couldn't tell them what you had actualized relative to and what you're working on with Propulsion, they couldn't tell you what they were working on.
2: That was an excellent, excellent analysis, DJ, of TSSCI Clearance. I want to say real quick, if you want to read a book for free or listen to a book free right now on Audible, now's your chance, audibletrial.com slash UFO book. Like my narrated Killer Kudzu winner of our finalist for the Fiction Horror Award, and I got to get me some fiction horror in you know, every once in a while there. And we have some new comments real quick. Uh, oh, interesting. Listener De- Gabriel Ortiz wants to know, doesn't the whistleblower amendment cover those with TSSCI? That's a DJ question.
5: Uh, yeah, according to Congress, it does. And they're providing that protection. Um, they've set some limits on when you need to come forward. I think it was uh, 180 days. And um, I think for for per, uh, individuals it was uh, like 60 days and then for uh, private entities it was 180 days. I'm not sure you'd have to read up on what, uh, I think Representative Gallagher put something out about that, but yes, they're, they're essentially they're providing protection which is what um, they asked David, do you know individuals who are read into these programs that would come forward and talk to us? And he said, in a closed session, yes.
2: Great, and Deja, one more thing for- for you to close with, but before we do that, can you tell everybody how they can check out the fantastic things that you've got going on with Calling All Beings?
5: Well, thank you very much for for the platform. You guys have a a celebrated and very popular show and you guys get some amazing guests on. Uh, But yeah, we are at Calling Beings on Twitter. Uh, And if you search for us on YouTube or any of the podcast platforms, we are Calling All Beings. My personally, I am call underscore at call underscore all underscore beings if you want to, to reach me personally. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, we've been able to make a lot of uh, friends uh, as a result of doing this, which is half of the reason that we're in this. <laughs> half the reason is to find out about the phenomenon, but the other half is just to have interesting discussions with people and, uh, and make friends. And I really don't care how many Twitter followers those
2: persons have. So, we're honored to be able to meet you guys. Thank you. Quick update our dad gummit shot count <laughs> made it up to four. So, we had four, four dad gummits today in the UFO hearing. <laughs> and I plan on imbibing all four of those shots at some point this evening. And by the way, we had the. Oh, and Gabriel Ortiz says, Thank you for that information. Yes, you we had the privilege of going on with Calling All Beings the other night. And let me tell you, a high energy show like you would not believe they bring it and they really, really get after it and it's worth checking out. So my last thing before we to close today and what a day it's been a historic day, DJ, is something I'm calling now the Kirkpatrick been... Paradox. <laughs> and I and shout out to my my hero of the hearing, the fantastic Ms. Fox. I don't think I've ever seen Ms. Fox before but I'm calling her the fantastic Miss Fox now because she dug right into this and she pointed out it is a paradox it is a problem it's a contradiction and I think somebody I think for somebody this is a problem on their hands the fact that we have our official government UFO organization the head of it going on the record and saying no we don't have any evidence of Non human intelligences. We don't have any evidence of captured UAPs or reverse engineering. And then in this hearing today, you know, we have three folks telling us we're dealing with non human intelligence. We're dealing with things that are beyond our physics and we are reverse engineering these things. So it is a paradox. These are both official positions. What's going on here? DJ.
5: Um, So you talk talking about that that paradox. Um, All I can say, um, I don't want to throw specific, throw any directed shade at uh, Dr. Kirkpatrick, but obviously I'm so glad that uh, Representative Fox and some of the others asked questions. uh, And what uh, Dave Grush said directly refuted his testimony and it it defies credulity to use a word we used uh, yesterday and it's unfortunate that um, he is probably receiving pressure from somewhere to take a certain position. Um, and it's kind of like, if, if someone were, were to want to ask you about an aspect of your life, your previous life um, that you didn't want to discuss, and you were being forced to discuss it, almost like having to go into like a divorce court proceeding and having to relive something, um, uh something that you're embarrassed about uh, that would paint you in a bad light. I, that's kind of like it seems like what's going on now and he's probably being uh, compelled and told, um, you know that uh, this is what we want you to say and uh, or you know, it's his personal beliefs and he's willing to to uh, put himself out there, but it, it defies what David said and unfortunately for him, Uh, He's going to be able to bring in people that will support his testimony. And then uh, Dr. Kirkpatrick will have to move from that position. However, since it's not a legal proceeding, I don't think, I mean, he can't perjure himself in this setting.
2: Right. Well, you know, I actually spoke to some legal experts and, and got some opinion on this. And one of the problems is, like today, even though the witnesses are under oath, and technically, it's illegal for them to lie. Mm-hmm. It is incredibly difficult to prove a lie in any of these situations, and basically un- unheard of to prosecute it with any of uh, effectiveness. a matter of fact, the legal experts I spoke to literally couldn't come up with an example of a prosecution. Watergate. Yeah, Watergate. Watergate. Okay, there you yep. go. Yep. And 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 that's been quite a while back, right? G. Gordon Liddy. Yep. Yep. Uh, I so. So it's quite interesting, and, and DJ, do you have any, what's your final synopsis on today's historic hearing?
5: Oh, and I do have a question for you uh, that I want to oh. ask about about your... Um, yeah. Yeah, let me get, just real quick, uh, the investigation. You know, you and and CJ have something real interesting. Um, have real something real interesting. Is that something that you're gonna pursue further?
2: So I'm gonna say shout out to Simon Stifler because uh, friend of the show he knows this location too okay and it's it's just down the road from us and it's a top well it's as far as we could tell a very high level top secret facility apparently 13 stories deep underground Mm -hmm. the supposed inspiration for the facility that you see in Stranger Things the show it's owned by AT&T and it's just there right but it has no purpose on paper, no purpose on paper. But yeah, we're definitely going to pursue that. We're looking into a lot of different angles on that. But, I, you know, DJ, you and I were talking, that's just one of those examples of how we do have this mingling, confusing mingling of private entities. And Matt, well, you know, actually somebody made a good point about at and to me. To call them private entity is actually a little misleading because I believe they're actually... Ran by the government for the most part. Um, I don't Well, let me say that again. They're dependent on the government in terms of monopolies and that sort of thing um, and legislation. like They're kind of codependent. Like AT&T would not be successful without government interaction, right? Sort of like public schools i guess you'd say um and they're, and they're subject to to government regulation of course what at&t has going on but yeah we're going to look into it. it it's so intriguing and it but it's all part of this confusing you know situation the ufo phenomenon and what we've got going on and all this mingling of top secret stuff and government organizations private entities and and all that so yeah, thanks for bringing it up, DJ. Yep. We're we're hoping to turn that into a special. I mean, we'd like to find out more, and we'll just see what happens. Can
5: I get it, Amen? But uh, yes. final thoughts. It was an historic day, uh, without question, and it's taken us further. As I said, there's, you know, we start off with with, uh, you know, Dave Fravor and coming forward, and then the 2017 article that got you know got us Christopher Mellon the highest ranking. Highest-ranking government official we've ever had come forward to, to to bring this into the public, and then Lou Elizondo, uh, the highest person that was involved in uh, the UFO program, because he was a, a director of ATIP and it was great to hear Dave Grush, because they, you know, the uh, Susan Goffin company tried to squash Lou Elizondo. He wasn't directly responsible, you know. He, they tried to. Uh, to diminish what his role was. And then, uh, excuse me, Dave Fravor actually said, yeah, we, we, we were contacted by uh, Jay Stratton and, and, and then made report with uh, Lou Zondo, which is great. Um, that, But now with David Grush, this has raised the game to another level because of the fact of um, his clearance. And he was told things that I think, um, maybe lou elizondo was not told uh and came forward in a way through a process through a couple of processes a dod ig and then an icig complaint and now boy it's going to be very difficult for them to completely obfuscate what we have from our legislators our elected representatives so it was it's bipartisan it's it's uh anything that's bipartisan in the way our country is so opposed to one another today to see people could this be the beginning of not only finding out the nature of our reality uh that that we don't know and that you know also goes to what tim and cj are looking at part of our reality that that uh the public isn't aware of and some secrecy is necessary. We need to keep our adversaries at bay. There are people out there that want to do the American way of life harm, and we have to keep them from getting anything that would give them any advantage over us. So that 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 must remain. However, um, some reasonable, intelligent level of disclosure should happen, and I think largely the f- this is as I've said uh, uh, when David Grush came out. This isn't the the beginning of the end. It's the end of the beginning. If Lou Elizondo and Dave Fravor and them were the beginning, then this is the end of that portion, and now we're moving into a new phase. So, um, so anyway, that I, I I think it was an amazing day, um, and I'm very uh, inspired by by it. I thought, yes, every question wasn't awesome. Every sen- uh, representative question wasn't off uh, awesome. But if we can get that and we can find maybe this is the lead in to more bipartisanship, that's very important for our country. Um, And so, you know, on both counts, I mean, these are A pluses in my opinion.
2: Right. Well said. And I just want to close with this. So, uh, as Avi Loeb told us, you know, well, and this came up in the hearing today. This need Also, there's a need for public contribution for the, you know, not just the military and not just NASA and not just the Galileo project, but the public can contribute. And I believe it was Graves that said, hey, we need to get technology out there that allows the public to actually make contributions. And I thought that was a very interesting statement. It makes me yes. wonder maybe yes. there's something on the precipice. being released and this might be the impetus for it to to get out there to the public so hey tim
5: i just want to say you made a great point there because we've left out the civilians in this you know yes civilian just persons of that that one gentleman the guy who is the young freshman who said i wasn't a pilot and in fact he he is a glider pilot said how does just your regular person who isn't a pilot report we need that mechanism that they can report and that data especially if it's from a civilian uh becomes public
2: absolutely i mean we know there are a lot of pilot encounters out there that are happening in radio traffic and and sometimes they get captured by folks like over at the black vault you know and and they get released but it just goes to show you that was a a a rare occurrence for it to get snagged where we could hear how much do we not hear right ben hansen too Yes, and and look at the Chinese spy balloon that was shot down over, you know, off the coast of South Carolina, went over across the entire country. The only reason that was known about is because a dude, I believe he was in Montana, didn't let it drop. He got basically got NORAD on it his own self, right? Like, he said, I see this thing up there. It's bizarre. I'm getting to the bottom of it. And this was just John Q. Public, but just think, DJ, if he had not done that, we would have never known about it. Mm, mm. And I guarantee you, we would have never known about the three UFOs shot down over Super Bowl weekend immediately following that. So the public does, can play a large role in this. And as Avi Loeb told us, the skies are not classified. One thing we gotta do is get off these, unless we get some new apps that we can use to record but get our face out of them. Look up to the skies. The skies are not classified. You know shout out to bigfoot i got some bigfoot behind me the woods are not classified get out in the woods take a hike look around go camping look up at the stars we can all we can all collect data the sky's is not classified yet so shout out to dj calling all beings we appreciate everybody out there i'm gonna get out of here thanks everybody
12: thanks thanks, thanks.
2: thanks. thanks. like like
14: share share
1: follow follow
4: all things all things unexplained unexplained
18: LinkedIn.com
4: slash com HADU,
1: HADU, com FU, 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 FU,
5: Some FU, That FU, 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 FU,